Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin, and I'm joined by today's co-host, Kristen Palacy. Kristen became a mother this year and is in the midst of finishing her chiropractic training at University of Southern California Health Sciences, where she's taken a strong interest in pre- and postnatal care. Thanks for being here again. Thanks for having me. Our guest today, Becca Gordon, is a birth and postpartum doula, childbirth and lactation educator, doula mentor, yoga instructor, and the founder and the owner of Two Birth, Two Doulas Birth. You got it. Hmm. She specializes in supporting women and families who have previous history of trauma or loss. Becca is a Memphis, Tennessee native and currently lives in California, Southern California, with her husband, Lee, and their son, Ezra. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. All right. When I first met you, I was blown away. I don't even know if I ever told you this. But I was blown away. You were, you're still young, but you were younger. You were young. You did not have kids. You were passionate about childbirth. And it blew my mind. I'm like, how is somebody who doesn't have any kids? Like, you see people go through the experience, get moved by it, and then get into it, want to support other people. Uh, it just blew my mind, and it, it kept blowing my mind. I'll never give birth, but I support women in labor, but I feel like those of you who have can support on a much different level. Um, but at that point, you hadn't, although there was a little nugget growing inside you, like yeah, really early. Yeah, a surprise, like no one knew about it mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> until that night. <laughs> uh, but still, you hadn't had any kids, and the way you supported her was so beautiful. I learned a lot from just watching you. Um, and then I got to see you again uh, at a at a ICANN meeting, International Cesarean Awareness Network meeting. Still didn't have any kids, but you were helping these women um, really kind of share their stories and and work through their their experiences. And you were so therapeutic for them. You were so nurturing to them. You just you seemed to like just intuitively know what they needed to feel supported. And um, I remember that. I, it just blew me away. And then when I got to work with you while you were pregnant, it was just like, it was a tremendous joy. It was like a huge honor to be around you and to just hear you talk and how you think and learn from you. So uh, needless to say, I'm sort of excited tonight that you're with us. I feel so similarly. I feel like it's just going to be like a mutual fan club episode <laughs> of the Berlin podcast because you know, it's kind of a similar story on my end that I got to sort of see you do your work with other people. And then I remember being 12 weeks pregnant with our son and I had this horrible low back pain and was doing all of the things that I had told other people to do to sort of help with it and kind of trying to figure it out on my own. And finally, I was like, okay, I'm going to go and see Elliot. And I just felt better after one session. I never had that pain recur. And, um, you know, I got to actually feel the work that you do. And so it's, it's, really cool to have gone on this journey and have gotten to see you from both sides as a doula and as a mom and, you know, to have um, got invited to spend time with your family and become a friend. It's um, it's pretty amazing. Thanks. It's mutual. Uh, you're from Memphis, Tennessee. I am. By the way, I'm trying to spread out those visits, like not get it all on the first one. If we can spread it out to like two or three. It's better for the chiropractor than just fixing it on the first visit. <laughs> well, I kept seeing you. 
I didn't, no, you I didn't, didn't stop did coming. coming back for wellness <laughs> care, but it's sort of sometimes when you have that experience, you or somebody will recommend somebody to the office with that story, and they'll come in like hobbling down the hallway thinking they're going to leave playing tennis, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, oh, you know, it's not always quite like that. Um, I actually love when people come in and I ask, have you been to the chiropractor before? And they say, yeah. And then some of them, I'll say, how did it go? And someone will say, it was awesome. And someone will say, ugh, it was really a poor experience. I prefer when it was a poor experience because I have to really suck to look bad, you know, but if they had a great <laughs> but it's experience. true, though. I mean, I do kind of talk about you like you're a magician a little bit to my clients, and so many of my clients over the years have come to see you. I hope they're not it's pressure. Uh, causing It's a lot trouble. of pressure, but I, I do <laughs> but appreciate But he's pretty it. much a magician. He's a magician. Oh, no, I'm and right here. I'm a huge fan, like a really a huge fan. <laughs> well, it's mutual. Me too. Um, hashtag blushing. So you're from Memphis, Tennessee. Tin, you don't sound like you're from Tennessee at Give all. Give me a couple drinks and you'll come out. What about if you're mad? Mm, no, no. T- talking to family? Yes, talking to family. Well, a lot of my family doesn't sound Southern either, but when I get on the phone with somebody who does, whether they're family or not, they become out. family. <laughs> I totally need to go have a few drinks Yep. with you guys because yep. uh, I want to hear it. <laughs> um, so where'd you go from Tennessee? Well, I actually became a doula in Tennessee. Um, I was living in Memphis at the time. How old were you? I was 23. So what makes 24? you 23 and not have any kids and think, I should be a doula? Well, I never thought I should be a doula. I didn't even know what a doula was. Um, My journey into doula work was quite organic. I was working um, at a startup, um, had a kind of corporate-feeling job. I was traveling 200 days a year, working these, like, 16-hour days, long, no days off. And I started a yoga practice just to combat my own um, stress and anxiety from that job and from the relationship I was in at the time and other things that were happening in my life. And um, I just fell in love with yoga. And over the course of the next several years, I became a certified Iyengar yoga instructor, which is a really big deal. What's Iyengar for non-yoga people? Iyengar is like one of the classic Indian forms of yoga. And it's um, Iyengar and Ashtanga um, are both methods where the founder trained with the same person and the same lineage. They just kind of trained with him at different times. But so Iyengar, more spiritual and less physical, or a well, Iyengar mix of yoga both? is very physical, but it is more therapeutic in nature. So it involves the use of a lot of props and a lot of really specific alignment, and hmm. um, there's like less flow and less music in class and more direction from teachers about um, alignment. So when you say you started a practice, your personal you were just personal doing practice, yoga. and then eventually I became a teacher. Oh. And when I was starting to teach, I had a really big interest in um, yoga for women's health in general and like fertility in specific. I think it's because um, my mother struggled with both primary and secondary infertility, and my whole childhood she was trying to get pregnant with a second, and it was just kind of part of the zeitgeist of my house growing up. Um, And so it just was fascinating to me to learn that there were these ways in this really super old system, this really super Eastern system that were involved in addressing fertility issues. And so I really dove into that, and eventually my students— Did you end up having a sibling? I did not. I'm You're an the only one. child. Oh. Yeah. Didn't you know that about me? No, but it makes sense. All the like goodness of like whatever. <laughs> it makes sense it's on a lot of levels. bundled up in one. So concentrated. <laughs> concentrated goodness. Um, yeah. So I. It's interesting though that it was uh, open to you, her, her journey towards uh, her yeah. efforts to have another kid. Yeah. 
definitely. Um, Did you want another sibling? I think I wanted it for them. You know, I knew how badly that she and my dad wanted it. Um, I had two cousins who I grew up living next door to that really filled the role of kind of that sibling relationship for me, both on the, like, positive side and also on the, like, (laughs) driving me crazy And then you could go home and retreat. Sometimes, yeah, if one of our parents weren't traveling or we weren't, you know, having to stay at the other one's house and whatnot. And they're close in age to me, so I I feel like that was sort of – it filled my need, although – now I look at families where there are lots of siblings and they're adults and they all get along with one another. And I'm like, oh, I really, maybe I am missing out uh, on something. Well, you should hang out with the families that I hang out with. <laughs> you will be glad you don't have a sibling. Yeah. So long story short, I started working with women's health and yoga and um, fertility specifically. And a lot of my um, students started getting pregnant. And so over like kind of working with them and having worked with them, some of them for years, I got a real interest in prenatal and postpartum yoga. And then they started asking me to come to their births. And I was not intimidated by it. I grew up in a family where um, birth was not a scary thing. It was something that was very much talked about and talked about in a really positive way, um, where there was a lot of breastfeeding happening. And um, Is this of, your cousin? Because you didn't have siblings. So it was just cousins and aunts and... Yeah, exactly. Aunts and uncles and cousins, kind of the extended family. Um, Is it more common in the South? No, probably less common. In oh, because they're more conservative. Yeah, yeah, just my just your little crazy village. Family. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, and so I started going to births, and I think after about like eight or ten of them, I was like, "Wow, I really like this." There's a reason. There must be a reason. Like I keep doing this, and I was living in Tennessee. And I didn't really know what a doula was, but I knew what a midwife was because I was born. My mother used a midwife, oh, and really? I thought, well. Maybe I'll go to the farm and see if I want to become a midwife. So in 2009, I went to the farm and I did the midwifery assistant training, and that was my first. I don't know if everybody knows what the farm is. The farm is a commune in Middle Tennessee, and it's also got a birth center there, um, which is kind of the mecca of modern home birth midwifery, or People could be come considered in from the mecca. Far yeah. Near yeah. To have yeah. their babies on the, at the farm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Ina Mae Gaskin um, was one of the founding founding midwife over there. And she's got books, and they're very inspiring books. Ina Mae's Got to Childbirth and Spiritual Midwifery and others. So many more. The Manifesta. Yeah. <laughs> so you, I didn't even I'm, – I'm, I can't wait to listen to this podcast. I'm learning so much about you. Uh, I don't talk about my background a whole lot. I feel I like every time we get together, we're talking about something that's more like in the present moment. This is really fun, actually. I like talking about myself. I didn't know you were on the farm. So how long were you at the farm? <laughs> I was um, there for the midwifery assistant workshop for eight days. And my husband, uh, who's my boyfriend at the time, came up there with me. And we actually stayed and kind of hung out there. He was um, an aspiring writer and, like, just liked – we stayed with this woman who was one of the original people who drove out in the caravan van to the farm and wow. this old hippie and um, she ran the soy dairy there. She was amazing. So we kind of made an experience out of it. But what is a soy dairy? They have other things besides a birth center at the farm. They have like all sorts of ecological housing things and unschooling type things and a soy dairy and a book press and all these little wow. minor like empire businesses. Is a soy dairy where you make soy milk and stuff? Yeah. So they're like all... Um, vegan at the farm and oh. they grew soybeans from like way back when they I went on to the land there so I hear I wasn't there um, 
and established a dairy. And so they make like soy ice cream and soy cheese. Mm, now you're talking my language. Soy ice cream. I like the farm. Yeah. <laughs> Especially it, in the summer heat in Memphis. It's, oh, it's pretty hot. needed. Is it magical on the farm? Do you like... I was really blown away. I mean, I didn't really have anything to compare it to because it was like the first, my first dive into this aside from my reading. But I mean, Ina Mae Gaskin gets a lot of press and she is a very inspirational person on many levels. Um, but the other midwives there, many of whom still teach in that training, who started out with her and are just as much a part of it, just didn't author all the books, are also really inspirational people. And so I didn't even really, I don't think I fully grasped how great that all was until I started diving into more different types of trainings as I decided to become a doula. It, it almost sounds like walking into the wine cellar of all things reproductive related. Yeah. You know, like you don't even have to open the bottle and drink it. You just absorb it in your... Yeah, but it's also like opening like a Lafitte de Rothschild and you don't even know what it is. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I was like just this fresh, clean, very open, had been to like maybe eight to ten births at that point like a vessel of just wanting to receive information. And I had no idea that I had just like, quote unquote, uncorked like this magnificent wine, mm. you know. So eight days for an assistant to be a midwife assistant. Yeah. Or? And I realized while I was there, I really actually had no interest in being a midwife. Like the clinical aspects of care were just not where my heart was. Um, but many of the other people who were there for the training were already working doulas. Some of them experienced doulas. Um, and I decided there that I was going to become a doula. Hmm. And did you do your training at the farm? No, I did my training back in Memphis, um, went back to Memphis. And the only training that was close to me was across the bridge in West Memphis, Arkansas. And it was a training through Kappa, like a really sort of traditional doula training. Um, and with a great uh, RN doula educator named Angie Watley. And um, she was my first you know, sort of mentor in this field. And I ended up doing childbirth education training with her as well, pretty subsequent to that, like pretty close to that. And I started my practice in Memphis and I did my first like 25 or 30 births there. How soon after that did you come to Los Angeles? About two years. Two we years. came in 2011. 11. Wow. So I must have met you a couple of years after. Well, no, right around there. I think I met you maybe about a year after. Yeah, right around there. I lived in L.A. It kind of, I mean, it really explains everything that I opened up with. Like, how are you this young and not yet a mom? And it just has so much passion and energy and wisdom around uh, around pregnancy, childbirth, postpartum, fertility. Thank you. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It comes from my family, too. I mean, I just think when you're, when you grow up with certain stories, it impacts the way you feel about everything, you know. I just have some amazing matriarchs in my family, and um, I actually just lost my grandmother, who was sort of the matriarch of the matriarchs in our family, and she had five kids, and oh. I heard all of her birth stories and mm. how they were all different. And um, I'm yeah, sorry. Lots she, of aunts and uncles. Just and, looking at you posting about her on social media just just made me feel, uh, you guys ever read Stephen Covey? The, yeah. Uh, the uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Oh, yeah. Mm. And uh, <laughs> oh, that guy. I do not know his name. Uh, <laughs> I have not read his so stuff. So his second habit is, you did? Yeah, I own it. <laughs> I listened to the audio program. But it's his second Aubrey. habit is begin with the end in mind. And uh, he talks about actually picturing your 80th or 85th birthday and who's there and what they're saying about you and just 
figuring out where you want to end up and making that goal. And when I was reading your your posts about your your grandmother, your softa, I was like, oh, I got, I got work to do. <laughs> <laughs> so I think she was going. born that way. I don't know. She was a really magical human. She was also a magician. Yeah. That's so special. Yeah. That's nice. Uh, did you guys come here for your husband's work? Um, for his school. So oh, school. he decided to go back to grad school and um, – there was a long discussions in our house about grad school and, and where to go and what to do. And I was secretly kind of like, man, I sort of hope that he gets into that New York film school. Um, because my only impression of L.A. was Santa Monica. I have an uncle who lived out here and has been in the industry and has my, raised my two cousins out here. And um, it just didn't feel like home Santa, visiting Santa Monica. But we happened to land in Los Feliz because that's where my husband's school was. And as soon as we moved, I was like, okay, I'm never leaving. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. This is amazing. It's a way different vibe. <laughs> yeah, totally. East and West. Yep. Um, and so how soon after you got here? I mean, was it hard to break into the community? I got really, really lucky. I found DASC, the Doula's Association of Southern California, before I even moved to L.A. when I was sort of doing research on the birth community. Like, I knew when I moved here I wanted to continue my career as a doula. Like, I was definitely hooked at that point and knew that I wanted to find a way to be a doula in L.A. And I was really intimidated by it. I was convinced that the L.A. doula scene was going to be, like, super statusy and, like, revolve around celebrities and just all these things that I wasn't interested in. Um, but I was really lucky. I found Dask uh, before I even came out to Los Angeles. And then pretty quickly after that, pretty quickly after landing, I found Tracy Hartley. And she became my first mentor in L.A. Oh. And, like, really took me under her wing. And I actually worked as her intern for a year, like, helping really? her in her home office. Yeah. And she took me to births and just helped me get a lay of the land of the kind of birth options and community out here in LA and um yeah I definitely credit Dask and Tracy Hartley with a lot of my success okay I love both of those two things one's a person but Dask uh, (laughs) the Association of Southern California is I at least I'm not as involved as I was but it was the opposite of caddy it was people just who you would think would want to just compete with each other and knock each other in the ground bending over backwards to help each other and um, support each other and build community. I just remember every year their banquet, you know, the first year there were like five tables and then all of a sudden there were 15 tables and 20. It just kept growing and growing. Honoring Elliot over and over and over again. Well, and Becca, and uh, those those were some of my hardest nights ever because I'm face blind. And so um, doulas in particular, if I'm going to have any clue about who they are, it's like, you know, which tennis shoes they wear or which yoga pants they wear. Um, and, or what their hair is, you know, which pony holder. Uh, but when you go to the banquet, they, it's serious. They get dressed up hardcore with so makeup and the hair is done. No and I'm, I'm like, nobody. <laughs> and doulas are so warm and fuzzy Terrible. and huggy. You're getting like these extra long hugs. And I'm, I'm like, it's nothing to try to figure out who they are. <laughs> It's, that sounds so creepy. That's yeah, awesome. I know. Yes, it is. He's well, smelling their hair from like behind. He's been smelling me. <laughs> I didn't even sniffing. know it. He knows your shampoo. It's no clue. I'm actually an easy person at the banquets because long before it was a thing for partners to come, it was like Elliot Berlin and my husband Lee, who is like a total doula groupie. He's like an amazing so awesome. uh, doula birth evangelist with his big beard. He's and got so a he's nice, like, identifiable <laughs> beard. If you couldn't recognize like, me, yes. you could recognize Lee pretty easily. Well, I assume that you're the girl that's with him. 
Yeah, let's hope. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. I think we should take a little break. And uh, when I come back, I want to find out about your pregnancy. I know some of it, but I don't know your birth story. I wasn't uh, present at your birth. I saw you afterwards. But uh, just like everything else about you, there's a lot more to you than what I know. And I want to know more. So uh, we'll be back after a quick word from our sponsor with Becca Gordon. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart, literally, omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new omega-3 soft gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell, perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin, here with our co-host, Kristen Palacy, and today's amazing guest, Becca Gordon. Becca, so now I finally have a better understanding of where you came from. Uh, How soon after you got to Los Angeles did you embark on your own motherhood journey? So I got pregnant, I think, about two years after we came to L.A. So it it all felt very fast. Like, I didn't really necessarily feel like I had... um, you know, a huge community in L.A. when I got pregnant. Um, You know, there was obviously the doula community, of which I was really a big part of at that point and had a lot of connections with. But between, like, my husband having been in grad school, he was just finishing graduate school when we got pregnant. And he sort of had built-in friends um, in his grad program. And then working as a doula, you know, it sort of does limit your, like, ability to connect with others because you're always, like, I'll be there except (laughs) not. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Birth willing, birth willing, birth willing. (laughs) Maybe. Um, So sorry. I cannot be at your kid's birthday party. Yeah, all of that stuff. So, um, yeah, that's hard work. I mean, it's it's crazy work. It's physically demanding, emotionally demanding. You have no control over your schedule. I have no idea how you do it with a kid. I actually think it gets easier over time. Because you you don't worry as much? Yeah, I just don't feel as concerned with being on call as I did when I was a newer doula. Plus, I have, like, the most amazing and supportive partner ever who is just an incredible dad and super bonded to our kid and, like, never struggled with or never let on that he struggled with, like, putting Ezra to sleep if I wasn't there or, you Mm. know many nights in a row if I wasn't there or changing his own schedule. Yeah. I mean, he's just, I could never do it without him. You have a man wife. He's amazing. I mean, he's truly everything. I mean, he's a man wife, but he also has an amazing career and passion of his own. I mean, that's pretty sexy. He's a pretty good dude. (laughs) (laughs) And Kristen just became a doula. Yeah. Or just did her doula training. I did. So, and also just had a kid, so... Yeah, and yeah. also have a really supportive – I don't think I could do the same thing, right, being in a program as demanding as the chiropractic program is. And, 
even coming tonight or anything that I try and do, he's always pushing me to go outside my comfort zone. And it makes me, a, he's like, it makes you a better mom. <laughs> and that's so, so nice. right? Like, that's really great. Awesome. It makes all the difference. And yeah. like, I see my doula friends who have partners that, I mean, are wanting to be that supportive, but just can't be because of their own situation. And um, it's just such a different thing. Or like single mom doulas. I mean, I have a couple of really amazing doulas who are single moms that I'm mentoring right now. And they blow me away. Like those are the people where like if I wake up in the morning having a bad day, I'm like, suck it up, Becca. (laughs) (laughs) So and so can do it. So can you. You have a sexy man wife. Um, (laughs) I do. Yeah, it's, the truth is I used to – people always say because I, ha- I have a lot of projects, partially because of Mandy D, but also because I have a message to spread. But uh, people say, how do you do all that with and four, four kids. kids in your practice? And I'm just like, you need to have a wife. But I'm pretty I, sure I just asked him this like on the last Sunday. Yeah, because Alyssa is magical yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, Alyssa yeah. is incredible. And then now she's a doula too, so my kids are just screwed. Two doula parents. We never know when we're, we're going to – We've already had a couple of times where we're both out at different births, and you know they fend for themselves. They have yeah. apps and things, Postmates. They get pizza, whatever they need. It's actually cool. Like I'm seeing that now that Ezra's three. Like I'm watching that he, you know, he just grew up with this. Like he doesn't know anything different, and so like he has his routines around it too. Like he's totally used to me just like being gone when he wakes up in the morning. But then whenever I get back from a birth, he wants to hear the story. He loves Aww. to hear birth stories. So cool. He always like has little parts that he wants to add. Like, is that when they did skin to skin? Or oh, that's so <laughs> it's really sweet. Cool. He'll ask, like, did the baby come out via the vagina or the belly? Oh, you wow. know, he knows, and so it's cool wow. that he's so engaged at this point. And I'm like, okay, I didn't screw him up. I, I'm sure I'll <laughs> screw him up in other ways. Like, I didn't screw him up by being gone as a doula. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. That's cute. When so you didn't have a, a a close peer group when you when you got pregnant. No, not at all. And I mean, were you ready to get pregnant? What, did you choose? Yeah, yeah. We actually had some concerns, or I had some concerns that I was going to have some similar fertility issues to my mom. Mm-hmm. I think again because that had been such a big part of my story. Um, both my mom and my aunt that I was closest to had some fertility concerns, and um, so I actually. Uh, before we got pregnant with Ezra, had had some testing done. We just like decided to go see a reproductive endocrinologist and get some testing done because I was turning 30 and I was like, okay, I want to just make sure I'm good. <clears throat> and my numbers came back kind of low and we were like, okay, well, I guess that answers our question. And like, even if maybe we would have waited like a year or two to try to get pregnant, like we're going to go ahead and do it because we know we want at least one child and probably more. And you know, I just had that underlying fear. And then, like, within three or four cycles, I was pregnant. All right. It was really <laughs> easy. <laughs> How was um, – now, you had been to a bunch of births already at this point. Yeah. Ezra was my 99th birth. Oh, my goodness. Wow. wow. He was actually supposed to be 100, but then um, I uh, didn't make it to my friend's birth in oh, my really? third trimester. <laughs> Bad friend. Because I was too pregnant. Um, Wait, yeah. I think I know who that was. So your – Having been involved in 99 pregnancies, births, and postpartum experiences, I always wonder this, you know, when I see midwives, you know, give birth or even obstetricians when they give birth, uh, it's got to be different than in in a lot of different ways. I mean, obviously, you have a lot more information, but you have so much more experience and exposure. Yeah. And you see a lot of things, sometimes amazing things, sometimes less amazing things. So yeah. how does that how does that affect your pregnancy and, and, and how you get ready for birth? 
That's such a good question and I think a really big question to answer. Like I feel like there's so many different directions I could start, but I'll just start. Um, I could talk about that for this whole hour, I guess is what <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to say. Well, we're going to have you back. Oh, good. That'll be fun. Um, yeah, so I think for me, um, having been to so many births and seen so many births, I was I had reasonable expectations um, in that I did not expect that labor was going to be easy. Um, and I felt very like prepared to cope well and I had a good sense of what might work for me as like who to have there and the environment and that sort of thing like I was sure I was planning a home birth and I just wasn't a question for me it was something that we decided before we ever got pregnant and um, you know so there were some parts that I feel like I really gained a lot from having seen so much um I think the part that I was missing, um, and I think this is partially just being a first-time mom, but I didn't know it because I had so much experience as a doula. I didn't, like, have the humility around it maybe that I I should have in hindsight. But I think, like, the more intuitive part of, um, you know, really connecting with, like, what what I needed. Like, what are you like when you're how do you deal with loss of control? How do you deal with surrender? How do you deal with asking for help? You know, these sorts of things, like those questions that I was so good at asking my clients, I really didn't ask myself. I also feel like because I'd seen some really hard situations where people weren't treated very well in labor, I was also motivated a lot by fear. And so a lot of the decisions I made around um, who I chose as my care provider and um, just different circumstances that I had during my pregnancy had a lot more to do with, like, preventing problems mm-hmm. than, like, wanting it to be that way or, like, listening mm-hmm. to my internal voice about how I wanted it to be. Um, I connected with Ezra. I had a really, like, sweet connection with him during the pregnancy. Oh, yeah. But I just wasn't really connecting to all of this sort of deeper questioning and and – you know, those like nascent springs of motherhood, you know, inside of myself. I was you sort of seemed really well connected during your prenatal visits. Um, yeah, I, I was with Ezra. For yeah, sure. when I would talk to you, even just about your body and how you were feeling, the conversation always sort of went to your baby. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, um, and that's interestingly, at the same time, I was working, I was working with um, a bunch of actors. And I still do during pregnancy. And sometimes they are written into their, – their pregnancy is not written into a show. Let's say they're on a TV show uh, or a movie, but a TV show more commonly, right? And so they spend their whole first two trimesters trying to not be pregnant. Like pretend they're like not hiding. Pregnant. Yeah, pregnancy. everything they do is to wear clothing or to put things and to just not look pregnant, not feel pregnant. And so after a few of them – we had a few of those. <clears throat> I started questioning them about it, and they said, "Yeah, we are having a hard time bonding. Not everyone, but yeah. coming through, and we're having a hard time bonding with the baby because we're supposed to like not be pregnant. We're supposed right to be now. pretending they're not here." And then contrast that with Becca Gordon, and it was just like, "Oh, how are you feeling? How's your body? Oh, I got this little ache, but oh, the baby's moving, and the kicking, and the feeling, and the we're so in tune. I, I the patterns." Things that Ezra just... also has a really big personality, and I feel like he did even in utero. Like he just like had opinions. I remember going. <laughs> he did. Like I remember going and getting a um, my abdominal massage when I was pregnant, and they were working on me. Um, that's like where they work um, 
on your all of your abdominal muscles and abdominal organs and then they also like actually kind of massage the baby mm-hmm. a little bit like on the inside when you're pregnant and you could just feel him bliss out like he he came in and he was like oh there's someone new touching me and he kind of <laughs> had this little feeling that was like I don't know about this and by the time I left he was like hanging in my uterus like he had just had like the best massage oh, of his life you know he really just cool. had this sweet personality he um would wake up every morning at like six or seven in the morning and just start kicking Lee because Lee always, you know, kind of spoons <laughs> by me and just be like, wake up, daddy, wake up, wake up, you know. Um, so I think part of it, too, is just temperament. Like he had such a big personality. He was and still does. He was hard you to ignore. And I wanted to, I wanted to be connected. But yeah, I mean, I think sort of the uh, to not go off on too crazy of a tangent about my three year old because I could talk about <laughs> forever. Um, you know, going back to my pregnancy, I think I had this really black and white view of like what being a good pregnant mother looked like and what being a not so good pregnant mother looked like and what being a good laboring mother looked like and what a good birth looked like. And um, I didn't take a birthing from within class or like something that would have like, you know, or have a midwife that would like really have helped me explore some of those assumptions and like dive a little deeper under the surface. Um, so I did all of like my personal spiritual development around those questions in my postpartum time instead of oh. during my pregnancy. Do you think that being a doula and having the focus on someone else, so like instead of focusing on you, you kind of focused on your baby? Like how is as if you would have focused on the pregnant woman? Because it's, you, uh, your job inherently makes you focus outward as opposed to inward. Do you find it hard like, was that something that was a disconnect for you before even having a baby? Maybe? Yeah, definitely. And it's a huge piece of what's changed about my practice and about my life since having my son is, like, just finding that that um, deeper spiritual connection with myself and, um, you know, getting really real about what motivates me and what interests me and, you know, what my preferences are and that, you know, what my character flaws are and all those mm-hmm. things. You know, they were just things that... I, you know, I'm a, a only child type A perfectionist and mm. uh, caregiver and want to make everybody happy. <laughs> yeah. But through, so during the pregnancy, though, you seem very happy. Totally. Yourself. I didn't have any um, any uh, antenatal mood issues or anything. I was very happy to be pregnant. I had a blissed out pregnancy physically. I was really lucky. I had very little illness. Um, I had fatigue in the early days and I had a really gnarly lung infection when I was like 28 weeks because I was still dueling and just like pushing myself really hard. And that's when I stopped actually um, doing births. But yeah, aside from those things, I had a great pregnancy. I walked like five miles almost every day of my pregnancy. I was eating really well. I had great body work um, Mm. from you and other people, um, acupuncture and massage. And um, yeah, I mean, I was kind of like surface tangibly doing all the quote unquote right things and feeling really good. Like physically, I felt very strong and um, just I didn't know to ask the questions about the more emotional, social side of things. Below the surface? Yeah. Um, how was your labor? How did, you were planning to have a, a home birth. Yeah, I planned a home birth, and I ended up having a hospital transfer um, that ended in a vacuum delivery with a pretty um, intense shoulder dystocia that mm. lasted almost three minutes. And um, my oh. son's first APGAR was a one, and he was separated from me. 
luckily only for like four or five minutes and then, you know, brought back to me really quickly, which was really nice of the team at Glendale Adventist. And I really appreciate that. Um, But yeah, my birth experience really blew out of the water a lot of those expectations that I had prenatally about um, the type of care I could expect at home, the type of care I could expect at the hospital. And I was terrified of going to the hospital. I made so many choices in my pregnancy with the motivation of staying away from the hospital. And my personally for me, um, the trauma that happened during my birth happened at home. And the hospital experience was actually a really good one. Um, Mm. So that was so different from anything that I ever could have expected. I don't know if you want to expand on that, but what does that mean? Um, Well, I'll just tell you a little bit more about my story, and maybe that'll answer your question. Um, So for me, I am, aside from, you know, all these things we've talked about in my background today, I also am a survivor of um, nine years of a really abusive relationship. So Mm -hmm. the relationship that I was in prior to being with my amazing husband, Lee, was... um, Uh, really, really gnarly. It was um, full of many levels of abuse, but probably the worst of it was just almost daily sexual abuse for nine years. And I had gotten a lot of support around that. I'd been to therapy. I had done a lot of work with my yoga practice around um, sort of supporting myself with recovering from that experience. And then I'd found this, you know, really wonderful relationship that did a lot of healing on that front too, like being with someone who was so wonderful um, on so many levels like my husband is. Um, but uh, during my birth experience, the the trauma that I had from that got triggered and I actually disassociated from my body and mm. my experience and mm. I sort of watched the rest of it as if I were like a third party to the experience and because that was my coping mechanism. So when I was being abused, my coping mechanism for how to deal with that was to like actually disassociate from my body. Mm -hmm. And when um, this moment happened in my labor, which like was not a crazy moment, it wasn't like a moment of like, you're going to have to have a cesarean or like, you know, we need to transfer you to the hospital. It wasn't anything like that. It was this moment where Um, My care provider suggested that we break my bag of waters and had a, you know, reasonable line of thinking, you know, looking with compassion as a birth worker. Like, I totally understand why that was the suggestion. And um, my doula and my birth photographer, who are both really good friends of mine, started, like, coming up with these alternatives to that option. And it kind of created this sort of polarity where there was, like, a a preference on one side and a preference on the other side. And nobody in that moment thought to turn to me and be like, what do you think about this? And again, with total compassion that like these people had, um, my care provider had been to another birth before coming to my birth, um, was exhausted, was probably not having their best day, um, which I can see with compassion as a birth worker being like a really hard thing. Um, And then my doula was also like my business partner and a really good friend. And so she was in this like super protective state. She also had a one-year-old at home who was sick. And so she was like having to pop out to like nurse him. He had like a really bad ear infection and then fever. So there was like a lot going on. But Mm. in that moment, everyone was tired and everyone was doing their best. And I still had this moment of just like, I feel like everyone has given up on me because no one is turning to me to say, and what do you want? And what do you think? And I think that the like autonomy and informed consent was so important to me because of my history. And I'd made that so clear that that felt really horrible. 
in that moment to me, even though it was kind of a small thing. And um, so, yeah, it was actually that that sort of led me down. Um, and then some just like circumstantial things about the birth, like being separated from my son. I ended up having some pretty gnarly PTSD after my birth experience that was related just to being separated from him, even for those like four and a half minutes. Um, I would have like really, really scary dreams about like um, criminals coming to my house and taking him and like wanting to draw his blood and like horrible things happening to him and not being able to stop it, like not Mm -hmm. being there. Um, So... Yeah, so my own birth experience was definitely a learning experience um, on many, many levels. It really made me more humble and to shed a lot of my expectations around what good birth, bad birth means and what good mom, bad mom means. Um, And it also was this, like, really big calling in my life to work on some of this older stuff that was clearly still very much coming up for me at that point. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know how you... Uh, yeah, it's gotten heavy in here. Yeah. No, it's, it's just... Not even, yeah. It's so... It's just so deep. I mean, it's really so deep. And you do, you don't... I certainly don't know always what somebody is bringing in with them to their birth. And you just... you. I'm sure you all of your providers have the best intentions and have no idea that that was going to no be no idea and i've spoken to them afterwards like i lucky for me i you know am in this community and so i mean who gets to sit down with their care provider and be like this is what you did that didn't work well for me you know um but like two years after my son was born i sat down with both you know the people who i'd felt kind of let down by in that moment with compassion and was like i can totally see why you did what you did and this is how it impacted me and they were both so gracious and like really holding that for me and like really hearing me and just um it was actually a really healing part of my kind of recovery experience was having those conversations, which I didn't feel ready to have for two years That's, after um, he was born. Time, nothing heals you like time, I suppose. Yeah, it's it's heavy for me as a birth provider. Like you just don't know. No mm-hmm. two people are the same, and you just don't know. You we go in. I I don't put myself first at all with my clients, especially in labor. Mm-hmm. Um, I make big sacrifices all the time that they don't even ever know about. Yeah. Um, all I want is for them to have the greatest experience they can have, the yeah. experience they want to have. Uh, but it's heavy because you just don't know. Like, so, so some people are wildly different from other people. What works for some one person might be traumatic for another person. Definitely. And I think that's why, you know, so much of my practice now in helping support people who have a history of trauma, history of loss, Um, is working with people who already know how to name what they're dealing with, but also um, not really trying to prevent birth trauma from happening, but more trying to help build resiliency around what to do if something should come up. Like knowing that birth is a time where people can be really triggered if they have a history of trauma on any level. Um, And so like having like almost another labor toolkit that's like their coping measures for what works for them when they get triggered, which I didn't even have any answer to when I was pregnant with my son. Like, I so... Were you worried that your past would come up during your... I wasn't because I really felt healed. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, my birth kind of let me know that I had more healing to do and like a deeper kind of healing to do. 
I feel like that's so common around people who I know or even myself um, and even um, previous people we've interviewed, like that birth is such a kind of thing that you can't really understand why, but it's a really healing thing too for you. It makes you think about things or process, I guess. Yes. On so many levels that maybe, like you're saying, you don't even really know or it's like a subconscious thing and you think that you're done processing that yes. and then you're like wow that's there oh, that's turned why? up again yeah, yeah. I agree really and it's just changed my practice as a doula so drastically because now I appreciate that in a different way and so I feel like I can relate to my clients and start having those conversations with them a little bit prenatally like knowing that they may not know what all the things that come up in their birth might be but start asking questions about you know how they feel about um authority and autonomy and surrender and lack of control and being touched and this environment and that thing, you know, but not like on a tangible, like, how can we make the room perfect for you level more on like a underneath, like if one of these things gets um, triggered during your labor, like what can we do about it? Hmm. Yeah, like a trigger toolkit. Yeah, that's interesting. Or like in your postpartum time, I know plenty of people who it doesn't come up in the labor, but it might come up with breastfeeding or it might come up with um, some parenting decision that they're making down the road. So once you get home, once you get home, you're exhausted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really, I think, needed. Yeah. Definitely. That's really cool. It's definitely, um, yeah, it's really changed a lot about the way I practice as a doula. Do you think that it changes from whether or not the mother is like a first-time mom as to if they've had this is like their second or third? Or do you think it just kind of morphs or changes because each time is something different or new? Yeah, I do. I think it's different each time. I think the types of things that first-time moms are concerned with is typically kind of different than the types of things that repeat clients are concerned with. What's an example of that? Well, namely, like, first-time parents are really concerned with the unknown because they haven't been through it before. And Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of things around that. Um, It's actually harder with repeat clients or or people who um, have had kids before sometimes to help them know that, like, this experience will be different. You know, Mm. I think that there's so much of an imprint from previous experiences that a lot of the things that I'm working with with clients who've had babies before are like, okay, but this is not the same child being born. This is not the same birth experience. This is not the same time in your life. You know, different things may come up this time around, and they often do. It's actually quite uncommon in my practice to see people sort of struggling with the same things at subsequent pregnancies that they did with their previous, yeah. Because they're struggling with other things? Different things. Yeah, yeah okay. new things. It's not like all of a sudden it becomes magically easy. No, no. They're just different <laughs> different concerns and different things. Have you thought about how you might apply that to yourself in a subsequent pregnancy and birth? Yeah. I mean, I think I feel much better prepared um, on a deeper level for future pregnancy and birth, which I've actually just started kind of thinking about. Maybe we could have another kid down the road. It took me a long time to even like be (laughs) open to thinking about it. Um, But yeah, for me, I feel like the work that I've done in healing from my experience and then the healing that that experience called me to do on all these other areas of my life from my childhood and from... Um, that abusive relationship that I was in and and so many different things in my life. 
I just have that own, my own resilience and my own kind of trigger toolkit that I already use all the time. Like my day-to-day life has changed really dramatically in terms of how I respond to stress and stressful events. And so, yeah. That's sort of amazing. I feel like yeah. we should all do should that. All you know. Everybody should have a traumatic birth and come out the other side now. Well, I wouldn't we, wish that on anybody. We might be able to skip that little piece, but, but I'm just the saying. Toolkit. But everybody does have trauma. You know, trauma yeah. is something that... It's personal. So my trauma could be yeah. something that you might not get. And your birth trauma actually could be something other women will be like. What are you even talking about? Two people were trying to help you? Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, so, With the best of intentions and no right. malicious intent. And yeah. it was yeah. very traumatic for you. Yes. That's, I mean, I'm going to have a hard time sleeping tonight, honestly. As a, as a birth provider, I'm going to. But we're not trying to prevent people from having these sorts of traumas. Like, I think we need to step away from the language around, like, wanting people to have this, like, uniformly joyful experience when it comes to childbirth. Because I think sometimes it is a calling to have, you know, to do more work. And that there usually for people are going to be really joyful moments and really hard moments in this whole perinatal journey and period. So I've definitely stepped away in my practice from talking about like, I really want to help you have a joyful birth or a joyful experience and look back on that day with joy. Like, yes, I want you to look back on that day with joy and have good memories and have a joyful experience. But like, if hard things come up, I want to hold space for that too and not you know, shame you for feeling like it should have been because it looked a certain way or because you were treated in a certain way. It should be one what, way or the other for what you. Because fo- I, uh, in somewhat in the unusual position for most of my birth clients of being able to spend a lot of time with them, sometimes right. every week throughout the pregnancy. So something that I try to focus on a lot is is being in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. That it's your moment. You need to surround yourself with people who are on the same page with you and going to, you know, the the contrast between home birth and hospital birth a lot of times for me, if, I'm, if I think about the different, major different energy, it's just in the hospital there's a lot of, can I do this? Can we do this? May we do this? I don't want that, you know, fighting for this and that. And at, at the home, it's everybody else saying to you, do you mind if I sit here? Do you mm-hmm, mind? Is it okay? Mm-hmm. It's just this completely – and so for, for the most part, even in, in our one of our documentaries, Trial of Labor, um, the women all had cesarean births that they didn't want. And now they're pregnant for the second or third time trying to have a vaginal birth. It was for most of them more about the experience of, of control, being in the driver's seat. Not control over the events that take place, but – being the one who's making the decisions or being a heavy part of the decision-making. And so that's what I aim for. But then when I'm at the birth, (laughs) the the reason I'm going to have a hard time sleeping tonight is because I'm going to be thinking about every birth I've ever been to. I'm like, I wonder if I caused conflict over there. You know, it's it's There's a lot more at play. And I mean, there's, there's a lot of social and relationship things that happen in the room at births. And that's just one of the many levels of like activity that's happening. Like, how do I fit into this social structure? I think that's kind of what you're talking about, too. Like, who's making decisions? Who's supporting me? Who's not supporting me the way that I want them to? And this is, like, part of the meaning-making that we, like, make around our experience and and, and really, like, um, it's about how we think of ourselves, right? Like, what does it mean about me if 
this person treats me this way or if that person treats me that way. I guess what I'm trying to get at is it's not your journey. And so just like you're trying to like let them have the driver's seat in terms of like tangible decision making. Like, it's not my journey as a birth it's provider. It's not your journey. Their birth is not your journey, like your spiritual journey right. always. You know, Agreed. it's theirs. And so like whether it's a a uniformly positive one or a mixed bag or a really, really hard one. Like they're having the journey that they, you know, they and their baby need to have, you know. So I guess like what I'm trying to say is um, it's about balance. Clearly, like we want to help prevent unnecessary violence and trauma happening to people who are going through pregnancy and labor and, also, maybe like let some of the hard stuff come up sometimes for people, hopefully in their pregnancy, mm-hmm. so they can wrestle with it a little bit, and this also in wife, their labor uh, if it comes up. You know, yeah. yeah. As a psychologist, that's her little magical belly power is sort of not unzipping everything, but sort of a little mental health check. Yes, know, yes, yeah. And so then, when like that same thing comes up during the birth, there's been like a little bit of a lay of the land, like a little bit of like a preparation for that, and and it's not a total shock. It's not a total shock, and. Um, You know, trauma is a situation where our coping mechanisms are overwhelmed, basically. Like, it's a situation where emotionally, physically, otherwise, our coping mechanisms are overwhelmed. Like, we don't have the resilience or the coping mechanisms in that moment to handle the situation. So if we can explore coping mechanisms around hardship ahead of time, like, the idea or the goal is to not negate the event from happening, but like help people's reaction to it and the impact that it has on their experience and their you know life forward going. I love that in your work, you work both with um, expecting parents and new parents uh, and also childbirth providers. I feel like we on both sides of the spectrum have a lot to learn from you. And so I really... I always say it, but it's true. These stories are so personal and trauma is so hard to to process yourself and then take it. It takes a, a certain kind of strength to take it and turn it around and use it to help other people. So thank you for sharing that and thank you for being here with us today. Um, one thing that I said before the break that I never followed up on is that um, I said I love DASC, the Dual Association of Southern California, but also Tracy Hortley. Yes. Um, just another person. One one area where I feel really lucky is because I do body work at birth. I'm not usually the doula, even though I'm a doula. I do body work. So a lot of times I'm at a birth where there is a doula and someone so experienced and so just book smart and street smart like Tracy to watch her work at a birth is like who's done it so many times before like I just remember watching her do things when I was um, mentee with her at a birth and just being like this is just like another Thursday to her you know like she's done this so many times that like she's not even thinking through she's almost in like a meditative state like she just knows what to say next or knows what to do next and and it works it works you know and you can't You can't learn that. You know, that's just something that takes experience. And it's really beautiful to watch. It's like a really beautiful dance where she knows, like, exactly where to be and when to step back and when to step forward and how to say it and how to say it to this person versus that person. And it's really quite beautiful It's inspiring. It's really inspiring to me. And I get to see lots of seasoned doulas um, in action. So I feel really blessed. I sort of feel like it would be cool if every new doula got that opportunity, got that experience. that type of experience. Yeah, it's really beautiful that Tracy like 
does that. You know, mentors. she mentors and works with new doulas and brings them to birth with her, and that's huge. All right, uh, this is my least favorite time on the podcast. Uh, the end. And um, there is so much more I want to talk to you about. You just open up lots of new doors and avenues for thought for me, um, and I'm sure for our our listeners, it's not it's far from run of the mill what you would expect when you're thinking, oh, I want to plan for this amazing birth, so I'm going to do this, that, and the other thing. You've really opened it up to a much deeper level. So, thank you for being you and for doing that. Where can we find you online? I'm kind of a um Luddite Neanderthal when it comes to social media. Um, but I have a Facebook page under Becca Gordon, um, like my personal page, and then I have Becca Gordon Doula Services. Um, I have a website, um, BeccaFGordon.com. And that's about it. I'm not like a tweeting. Otherwise, we have to uh, send a, a pigeon with a little <laughs> You can also postcard. just, yeah, email me. I'm like a, I'm a Luddite for sure. Awesome. Um, and Kristen, thanks also for being here. And you just had a, a birth experience less than a year ago. And yeah, thanks for having me. I, um, I, you know what? One time we're going to switch chairs. I'm going to find out everything I can about your experience, and because you've now sitting here through these podcasts and reading all the books that you're reading, um, puzzle pieces must be. Yeah. Coming together in your head. So many things, I think. And also wanting to, like, f- about to be graduating and, like you're saying, being a provider for these women in a different capacity. Mm-hmm. It's like how, yeah, so many just, th- like, ideas and I, I see when we're working side by side. And now I'm on the other side of the coin. I get to teach and um, Kristen Shadows. And I, I see... When you're on the other side working with me and we're working on somebody who's pregnant, you're just, it's your happy place. Yeah. I love it. It's like, I just want to be there, you know, and just feel like in any way possible. So it's really inspiring. We are definitely going to have you back as a guest and learn a lot from you. I learned so much from everybody, which is what makes um, podcasting amazing for me. This is really fun. It's really fun. (laughs) And I'm so thankful for you for doing this. I was just actually saying it before I came in here that... You know, this is kind of a community service that you provide, like having all this information available to pregnant people and expecting parents and new parents. And, um, you know, you work really tirelessly for spreading information about choices and um, just information in general. So I really respect and admire that and Thank I'm you. grateful for it. If you want to find all of our other information, it's at informedpregnancy.com. You can find our blog, our documentaries, and our brand-new program called The Real Midwives of Los Angeles. Got some comments or questions? Send us an email. We do have email, info at informedpregnancy.com. <laughs>